Hey, everybody. Woo! Yeah, I'm energized. Like that bunny. Uh, Easter time, you know. Um, no, I'm energized. I just got back from Florida. I was in Florida for a week. Check out my tan, right? You guys seeing this, right? I mean, it goes about up to here. Anyway, listen, I, uh, <clears throat> before I get into anything, I want to tell you about something I'm kind of excited about as I catch my breath. For some reason, boy, I'm out of shape. And that is, we, we, I'm getting ready to start a, a Bible study just for four weeks only. I'd love to have you come. It's going to be on Tuesday nights. It's starting right after Easter, so April 11th, Tuesday night, and it just runs for four weeks. That's it. We're going to provide child care. It's here in the cafe, 6.30 p.m. It's only going to be about an hour, 15 minutes long. Anyone's invited, and we're going to be going through some Old Testament stories that are fun and hard, and you got to figure out why in the world they're even in there. And we'll be doing some background, historical background, some stuff. It's going to be really, really cool. I'd love it if you would consider it about coming, just even if you make a part of it. Every week's going to be a different story. So if you make one, great. If you make two, great. Three, four. Hopefully, all four if you can. But that'll be starting on the 11th of April, going through May 2nd. And it's for, like I said, all adults and child care available. So it starts at 6.30 p.m. And you can sign up online if you just go to newhopenow.cc and click Spring Specialty Groups. You'll find the Old Testament Stories Bible Study. You just sign up for that. That'd be fantastic. I am glad to have survived a couple of airplane flights. And I really enjoyed our, our time down in Florida. And we went to this, I, I was... I went to see my brother on, we, uh, let me explain this first. We went to go visit my wife's sister on one coast down by Tampa. And then my brother lives on the other coast over by Fort Lauderdale. So I borrowed their car and went to see him for a couple of days. Now I'm telling you this story. Why? Because for some dumb reason, after leaving his house in a car several hour, a couple or about an hour into my drive, I realized I didn't have my wallet. I left everything, my whole life, in that wallet um, at his house. And I had to fly out a couple of days later. So I had them overnight. It, but the, reason I, the only reason I'm saying this uh, is because on my way back, I went past this place in the middle of Florida that might have been the ultimate experience if I would have had my wallet. It was called Gatorama. I mean, I couldn't believe I'm missing this. I had to drive by it very slowly and with wandering you know, eyes, looking everywhere to see if I could see just inside the fence. Because I was so excited about Gatorama. Those are the kind of things I love to do on vacation. Find those way out of the way places that are just crazy and you're kind of afraid for your life sometimes. And I thought that would be fun, but I didn't have... So when we got back, we found this other local place, though, that was supposed to be like a Gator tour, right? And so I thought, man, I'm all in, right? So we get to this place, and they've got all sorts of uh, little huts around, little gift shop, little restaurant that sells gator. You can eat gator while you're waiting, which is odd. But anyway, and then, you, and then uh, there's other, like a little museum and some stuff, and they had this bus that would pick you up. You get in the bus, and it was like a school bus, but it was totally gutted and made for the swamps. You know what I mean? It was like camouflage, and it had all the windows cut out of it and stuff. You could like hang outside the windows. It was awesome. 
And so we get on this bus for this hour and a half tour, and I cannot wait to see all these exotic animals. And I'm going to show you a couple pictures of what we actually saw. And it was not what I expected at first. This is the first animal I saw on the bus, like a cow. Yeah. There, he's trying to get on the bus, which is cool in and of itself. But I don't know. I just wasn't expecting to see a cow. On, and, but they, they went on and on about these cows. And I actually heard an audible gasp from people on the bus when we came up by the cows. I, I, is it just me? Or is this, I thought it was an exotic animal ride. Here's the next thing we saw. A turkey. <laughs> and I thought, am I in the right state? I wasn't sure what was going. It just, it wasn't all what I expected. You know, I was thinking all sorts of really cool stuff and well, it was good, I guess it was cool. Turkey running to catch the bus. And then we had uh, this, a pig. <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I was just not what I expected <laughs> at all on the, on the Florida Gator Tour. Uh, we finally, uh, finally did get to see some gators, though. So here's, here's one. There you go. And uh, he and I became pretty good friends. But the, no, it just was not what I expected. Have you ever gone on something like that where you just... Now, later on, we, we did hit this bridge called Alligator Bridge, and I thought, well, that's fantastic. So they just stop on the bridge, you hang out. And uh, I looked around, there was like one alligator, and I thought, well, some alligator bridge. And then behind me, I turned around, and there were about a thousand of them back there. So it, it actually turned out really, 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 really cool in the end. I'm not sure what I was eating afterwards. But anyway, uh, it, was, it was just a really good vacation. They had a good time. But uh, it just wasn't what I expected. And the reason I even bring that up is because that's exactly what this text is like as we look at Palm Sunday. And I'm going to use a very traditional text for Palm Sunday, and we're going to kind of tear it apart because all four Gospels talk about this event, and they bring some new things to light. And I, I guarantee there's going to be something in this sermon you haven't heard before concerning the triumphal entry, right? That's what Palm Sunday is associated with. Why do we call it Palm Sunday? Because during the triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, all the people had what in their hand? Palm leaves, which is, which is another interesting, we'll get to that in just a second, but they had palm leaves in their hand, you know, welcoming the king, the triumphal entry, as we call it. And the reason I uh, am emphasizing that is, I tell you what, let's read one of the gospels here, the account of Mark chapter 11. We're going to read through that and then uh, we're going to talk about this because it's not what you would expect. In fact, I don't remember ever hearing some of the things that I've been studying on this simply because I think that we have just been overrun with the basic idea of what we think it was. But let's talk about it. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And he will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, 
and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, this is 1 through 11 of Mark. Interestingly, uh, Mark brings up a story right before this. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I want to tell you about it in just, just a second here. He brings it up uh, really interesting. Here's the reason why. is because he's kind of tracking Jesus' movements. You see, Jesus is coming from Galilee and coming from Galilee into Jerusalem because it's Passover time. And so pilgrims, lots of people are traveling the road. Lots of people are, in fact, they even had their own tradition of when you get to Jerusalem, you must walk in. You walk in, they walk in with crowds of people at the time of Passover. But here we find Jesus on this road. And one of the places he says he was by uh, right before this is Jericho, which is only a few miles outside of Jerusalem, actually, about 15, 20 miles. And as he's passing through Jericho, he meets a man named Bartimaeus, which is, uh, he was blind. And this blind man, Bartimaeus, says, Son of David, have mercy on me. He cries out. And disciples are trying to keep him away from Jesus, trying to keep him quiet. And he's, he yells out even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he lets him come, and Jesus heals him. Now this happens right before this triumphal entry, right before as he's waking his way to Jerusalem, which is interesting because uh, it tips, tips us off in a few things. One thing it tips us off on is the incredible parallels of Jesus to the modern day at that time anyway. The ancient cities that would, that would bring in their kings with tons of fanfare. In fact, it was expected when a conqueror or a king would come into an ancient city that the whole town would come up and line up. And they would line up outside the town to bring him in with them. And they would line up in order of social progression. The most famous, the most rich, the most influential people would be the first to greet him and then so forth down to the peasants. I mean, they had a, and not only that, but some conquerors would actually, there was one conqueror on record back then, the people did not come out from the town to greet him when he came to the town, and so he set the whole town on fire and killed them all as much as he could. So this was not only expected, everybody get my drift? <clears throat> I mean, we got stories of Alexander the Great, when he conquered and came into that area of, of this happening, when Caesars would, would, would come in. And, this, and ironically, at the same time Jesus is making his way, Pilate is also making his way to Jerusalem. You see, Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. Pilate lived in a town called Caesarea that was built by Herod specifically for Caesar. And he lived in that town somewhere like 50 miles away. And when he came to Jerusalem, he came during the time of Passover because it was at the time of Passover when the Jews were celebrating what God had done to free them from the Egyptians, right? He would come at that time because that's the time when the Jews might actually think about revolt, right? And so he would come with tons of soldiers and horses and everything, a show of power. In fact, Pilate had such a show of power, if you really think about it, I don't know if you ever thought this crossed your mind before, but he had such a show of power. Think about this. During Passover, he crucifies people. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified on the time they offered up the lamb during Passover. 
So Pilate crucifies Jews in front of the Jews during their Passover. This is the kind of power I'm talking about that's being shown from the man coming in from the west, Caesarea. But Jesus is coming in from the east. He's coming in from the east, from Jericho into Jerusalem. Another thing that's interesting about the blind man is that during ancient triumphant parades, the king would have a town crier in a way. Someone who blows the trumpets to say, the king is coming, the king is coming, right? The blind man was Jesus' trumpeteer. See, it's an interesting thing. He picks a blind man. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, he doesn't allow people to actually say out loud in front of crowds who he really is, that he is the Messiah, the one that was to come, that he is the son of David. But who cries this out loud in Jericho? But a blind man, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. He believed who Jesus was, that he was really king. And he was shouting it out, and Jesus let him, because he was his town crier as he gets ready to walk into the city for the last time as king. Another interesting fact about this that just blows me away. I've heard this sermon so many times, I think you have too. That during the triumphal entry, the same people who were shouting Hosanna were the same people that week later that were yelling crucify. Have you heard that before? Probably not likely. Here's the reason. It's because palm branches. John is the one that tells us they actually had palm branches. Palms, you can't find palm branches around that area. I tell you where you can find them, Jericho. The people that were waving the branches and putting down the coats, and John actually tells us some of, the, some of the other people that actually greeted him were people who had saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. And so it was his disciples, the people that had been following him from Galilee, that watched him heal a blind man, that watched him raise the dead. They were coming in and shouting Hosanna. They were the ones that came in with the leaves that they got from Jericho along with them on the trip. You see, it's, it's interesting because what we're going to talk about here in just a second is that the triumphal entry was not really triumphal, and it really wasn't an entry. In fact, you could say that Jesus' triumphal entry was really a triumphal, opposite of. And I'm going to make that case for you. I know there are a lot, I want you to understand something. Later on this week, I'll be putting out on our podcast, New Hope Underground, some of the different history and views of this in case you're interested, if you're kind of nerdy like me and like this stuff. There are some differing views that people have because we're speculating some quite a bit. But the one thing I'm going to tell you is the one thing I've been kind of become convinced of myself as we look through what the triumphal entry exactly was. So Jesus' crowds that followed him in, when he sends his disciples to go get the donkey, and they bring the donkey's coat back, and he, they put their, their garments on it, and he, he sits upon the garment, and he starts to ride towards Jerusalem, not walk. And he purposely sits on there himself. He has them get the colt himself. He orchestrates this. It's interesting because um, the crowd that was with him, like I said, were not necessarily the Jerusalem crowd at all. They were the people that came with him. They weren't necessarily the same people who yelled crucified when the chief priest stirred up the crowds when they yelled for Barabbas. It wasn't necessarily the same people at all. In fact, you can make the case that it's possible that many people had no idea what was going on. 
You know, the other gospels say this. Luke says this. John says this. They quote from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That Jesus came into the town on the colt of this donkey because he was fulfilling Scripture, fulfilling prophecy. It came straight from Zechariah 9. You can look in Zechariah 9, starting with verse 9. You can also look in Zechariah 14. And you're going to find so many parallels. It's amazing. But Jesus is fulfilling the scripture that the king would come in on this colt. Another interesting parallel to me is this. Is that in 1 Kings chapter 1, there is the crowning of Solomon, the king. Who was who? Who was Solomon? The son of David. So the son of David being crowned king because David wanted Solomon to be king. And the interesting thing is this, <clears throat> is that the, the story goes in 1 Kings 1 that's, that the high priest named Zadok and a couple of right-hand men of, of David take Solomon, they put him on a mule, a donkey. They escort him in, in procession to a spring called Gihon where they anointed him with oil and he became king, and the crowds went nuts. In fact, the word that's actually used in 1 Kings 1 is that they brought up such a noise, it split the earth. It shook the earth like an earthquake. The reason I bring that up is because when Jesus, just like the son of David, comes into Jerusalem on the colt, just like the son of David, ready to go to the temple maybe. He should be anointed as king like Solomon. The same leaders reject him. You see, the chief priests were a group of people called the Sadducees. Have you heard that name? And the Sadducees who were running the temple, that name Sadducee is literally sons of Zadok, the priest. They saw themselves as the, the descendants of Zadok the priest, the one that crowned Solomon. And whether they were or weren't, that's where they saw themselves as. But they were not there to anoint Jesus as king. In fact, what we find is really interesting in the next few verses that maybe the triumphal entry wasn't as triumphal as we thought. That maybe Jesus was fulfilling scripture because he is the king of all kings. Because he is the king of the universe. And he should have got a reception a lot more than what he did. You say, wait a minute, Darren. There were so many people, though. They were putting the garments on the ground, like expecting a leader and waving the, the palm leaves. Wait a minute, Darren. They said, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Straight out of Psalm 118. But during many of these festivals, as, as Passover pilgrims would make their way to town, uh, during other festivals, they would shout and sing Psalm 118. It wasn't really abnormal. What was abnormal is that his disciples and the people that were following him, they wanted him to be king. But I wanted you to see something that most people did not want that. Most people rejected it. It wasn't what you, you might think. In fact, he stops the donkey outside Jerusalem. He doesn't ride into Jerusalem, and he walks into Jerusalem. And we're going to see a couple things that, that, kind of, that kind of bring us to this idea that is it possible 
that the crowds of the people, the majority of them anyway, did not accept him as king. And I say yes. And I can tell from a few scriptures. One scripture is here in Mark, right at the end of that passage, Mark 11, 11. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. Normally, a king would enter into the temple to be crowned or to be anointed. But he went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let me put this in Darren Hansen English. Ready? He walked around the temple, hung out, left. In fact, what you find out the next day he comes back, he cleans the temple out. What you get to find is he has confrontation after confrontation with those same Sadducees for five or six of them right in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Then you find him heading to the cross. Another thing that just blows me away is when I read Luke's account. Because right after he comes in and he leaves the temple, comes back. I mean, this is what Luke says uh, 19, 39 through 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, this is during the triumphal entry, by the way, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What is inferred by that? It's inferred that the disciples, the people who were following him, were the ones making the noise. Everybody with me? Not the ones receiving him. Not the Jerusalemites. But his disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Another passage in Luke that just makes me wonder is this one. 1941-44. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in, uh, in, in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You see, what we're going to find in Mark, what we're going to find in Luke, is that right when Jesus enters Jerusalem for this last time, some of the first words out of his mouth are judgment. And he cries because they did not accept him the way they should have. The visitation had come and they had ignored it. What is the visitation? It's the coming of Jesus. Not just his entrance into Jerusalem, but his whole ministry. The fact that God in the flesh was amongst them. And they'd rather have another kingdom instead of his. I don't mean to be a downer. <laughs> I'm just trying to be honest with the passage. It's really not that triumphant. In fact, you set it against the ancient kings, you would say it was a miserable failure. And when Jesus cries, you can't help but think that he didn't think it was successful either. Right? Now, I'm going to try to get to my point as quickly as I can here. I've kind of nerded out enough, I guess. What I, what I find fascinating is this, is that the same question is still valid today. And that is this, 
what kind of king do you think Jesus is? See, I think some of those were, who were, had the palms, some of those who were laying the, the coats down, I, I think some of those who were praising him and wanting him to be king still had one thing in mind. They wanted a king that was going to free them from tyranny. They wanted a king that was going to free them from the Romans. They wanted a king that was going to give them a better life. They wanted a king that was going to make them more money. They wanted a king that was going to help them and have them give them comfort in their times of grief. They wanted a king that was going to lift them up above other nations to be better than the world. They wanted a king that was going to rescue them like he did in Egypt to bring them into a promised land that no one else could ever match or fathom. And no one else could ever touch them again because that's the kind of king we have, powerful and mighty. And I tell you this, that the king that we saw that went in on the triumphal entry on the donkey's colt was not that. He did not come for that. And I find it amazing that you and I, all these years later, still struggle with the same question. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not good enough to follow Jesus. Especially if you have a total wrong idea about him. You've got to follow the right Jesus. You've got to follow the right king. You see, our king came in humility. Our king came with no political agenda. Our king came to save the world from yourself. Our king came to conquer the grave. And our king did not come to make you happy and wealthy and wise. Our king came to save you from you. And so many in America are just like a lot of the Jerusalemites. It's really interesting because Matthew says something that kind of blew me away. He said, when Jesus got into Jerusalem, the crowds were shaken. Kind of like the same word in Solomon's time. But he says they were shaken and stirred because this new Jesus and the crowd is walking in. But then they ask this, who is this Jesus? At the crowning of Solomon, the earth was shaking because of the joy, because everybody knew what promise God had brought. And they followed their king. But Jerusalem is shaken at this time, not because of joy, but because of ignorance. And I can't help but think that you and I live in a society that is ignorant of the real Jesus. And when life doesn't go the way you think it should go, we end up blaming the Jesus that we think we're serving or the Jesus, at least by name, we think we're following or the Jesus, the one that we're sitting in church for, that he owes us. When the truth is, that Jesus is more like Pilate than he is Jesus. For Jesus came to suffer.
wonder what Jesus felt like as he rode the donkey into Jerusalem, listening to the crowds, knowing what was going to happen to him in the next few days. You know, some scholars actually think that the day he actually entered Jerusalem might have been the same day of Passover when families would choose the lamb that they would sacrifice. And I'm asking you the same question. Who do you choose? Because if you're going to follow Jesus, the the king that we know, the king that he said he was, it doesn't mean everything in life is going to be perfect. It means you actually serve him. He doesn't serve you. But we live in a world that loves Jesus as long as he serves them. And some of us need to repent drastically because you've been living that life too. I want to I want to read to you something I wrote if that's okay. Jesus is the only one worthy to be king. A king who holds all power above and below, a king who many recognize but only few actually know. A king who lifts up the humble and opposes the proud. A king who whispers in a busy world so loud. Jesus is the only one worthy to be king. He's a king who heals when the world wounds. And he's a king who loves even when sin intrudes. A king who overcomes fear, not just enemies. And a king who cleanses hearts, not ethnicities. Jesus is the only one worthy to be king. He is a king who speaks truth without spin or deceit. He's a king who even slick politicians cannot defeat. He is a king who came to rescue, to seek, and to save the lost. And he's a king who gave his life, for that is what it cost. He's a king who conquered death to give us back our lives. And a king who will return and split the boundless skies. Jesus is the only one worthy to be king. If you want to see a triumphal entry of Jesus, it'll be the second coming. It'll be the day when no man or woman or child will have a choice but to make way for the entry of the king. But my king is gracious and he's given you time and me time to recognize that we serve him. He doesn't serve us. Before that day comes when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and everyone will serve him whether you like it or not. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of king I want to love. That's the kind of king I want to follow. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, 
I tell you what, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but would you stand with me? I'm going to interrupt my prayer. I'm going to ask you this. I'm asking in Newton and Shelbyville too, all of us together, as I'm praying, would you be thinking about these words? And would you also be thinking, if you need to get right with Jesus this morning, we don't do this all the time, but I just feel led to do this. Some of you may need to repent this morning. You may need to change this morning that you have been uh, wanting Jesus to serve you. You haven't been serving him. And if that's you this morning, you need to come forward. I need a couple leaders or small group leaders or someone to please come up here to receive people. Let's pray. We just want to pray with you. There's no judgment here. There's nothing to be worried about or thinking. It's just more about we just want you to be right with God this morning. As we head into Easter, don't you want to be right with God? Amen. As we head into Easter, don't you want to be following the right Jesus? Amen. If that's you this morning, you so desperately need that kind of prayer, come up this morning as I pray and as we sing. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray right now for the power of the Holy Spirit that you might convict our very selves. We lie to ourselves, and like Jeremiah said, we deceive ourselves. Our hearts are sick. So Father, please come and help us to understand that. Help us to just bow before you. Not just to lay down our coats or to lay down our branches, but to lay down ourselves. Oh God, you are king. The people did not understand back then. Even the people that thought they understood. John even says the disciples didn't know until later. They didn't get it. But Father, we get it now. And so Father God, I pray that what we do understand anyway, with the because of the Holy Spirit leading our hearts. I pray that there's someone in here this morning that so desperately needs to just get right with you, that you will bring them forth. Lord God, I thank you so much that you are the God who raises the dead. You are the God who heals. You are the God who loves. You are the God who is concerned. You are the king who is concerned for more important things in us than the earthly kings could ever care about. Oh, Father, help us not to follow another man, another woman. Help us to follow you alone. In Christ alone, in Christ alone, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.